Thank you for joining us today for TEDCO Talks, a new series featuring thought leaders in economic development from across the state of Maryland. Join TEDCO CEO, Troy Lamel Stovall, in thought-provoking conversations with regional leaders about the future of Maryland's innovation ecosystem. In this episode, Troy is joined by Renee Winsky, President and CEO of Leadership Maryland. Listen now to learn more about Renee and the role she plays in supporting Maryland and DC's entrepreneurial community. Hello everyone. Hope everyone's having a great day. Welcome to TEDCO Talks. My name is Troy Lamel Stovall. We are here today with uh, one of my, becoming my, my dearest friends here in the state, um, Renee Winsky with Leadership Maryland, who's an old friend of TEDCO's and uh, just a great servant of the state. So Renee, thanks for talking to us today. Uh, pleasure to be here, Troy. Thank you. Cool. Renee, why don't we, um, I want to start with something a little fun, uh, if you don't mind. And so I um, want to do kind of a word associate, the, the old word association game. Okay. So say some words, first thing to come to mind. Fair enough? Yep. All right, let's try it. Uh, we'll start with an easy one. Leadership. Maryland. <laughs> Ted Cove. Love. COVID. Ugh. <laughs> 2020. Can't wait till it's over. <laughs> That's not one word. Oy <laughs> <laughs> <Oy> vey. <laughs> Get out of here. Gone. Renee. Winsky. <laughs> no, I love Winsky. It's a good thing. Um, Chesapeake. Bay. <laughs> Crabs. Love them. <laughs> you can't play the game right, Renee. <laughs> Well, thank okay. you for that. I just want to have some fun. Thank you for that. Thank you for indulging me. I appreciate you. But um, let's talk about Leadership Maryland. Uh, so let me, and it's, it's, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it's going to be a compound question. So talk about, obviously, let the folks know about Leadership Maryland and, and what it's about and, and obviously your role. But talk about it in, in terms of the role that it's playing with COVID, you know, what's, what's happened with Leadership Maryland explicitly because of COVID. And the last part of my compound question is, as you think about leadership, um, as you thought about leadership, say in January, and as you see leadership today, and as it becomes how COVID has changed, what that leadership, what leadership means um, going forward, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, leadership, Maryland, there is no thirty-second elevator speech. Um, <laughs> Go for it. It is. It's an eight-month program. We take senior executives from every industry sector through an eight-month program. Uh, we expose them to the challenges and the issues across our state. We go from Oakland to Ocean City. Uh, we, we like to say we go an inch deep and a mile wide on a lot of different subjects uh, in hopes that when you finish the program, that between your cohort of classmates and all those who have graduated before you or after you, that you're part of this fraternity that just goes and does good things for our state, whether it's in your community, in your profession, um, in faith, in your children's sports activities, whatever it may be that you go and take what you've learned and do something better for our state. Um, in terms of what 
the organization had to do during COVID, um, we fortunately were in a good financial position thanks to the generosity of all of the people who have gone through our program contributing to our legacy fund. We were able to push the entire class of 2020 into 2021, along with deferring their tuition to do that, which was um, a difficult decision in some ways and easy in other ways. Um, so in terms of leadership mm-hmm. and how I see things have sort of evolved through COVID, um, so leadership is not magic. Leadership mm-hmm. is um, not uh, something you do alone. You need people around you to lead. And that whole dynamic has obviously changed. You're not physically in the same room with pretty much anybody but your family. <laughs> and it makes it very hard to lead on a Zoom call. Or, or you know, conference calls are bad enough because you can't see the body language. But, you know, even in Zoom meetings, not everyone engages with, you know, having their camera on. And, mm-hmm. you know, then you've got all these other, so Zoom is good for the, the, the Brady Bunch look, but, you know, Teams and, and Google Meets and some of the other platforms, you can't see everybody. And it's hard to lead a group of people when you're not there with them. Mm-hmm. But I have seen some tremendous leaders take advantage of what has been put before them um, in terms of COVID and do some wonderful things. I'm very proud of our governor. You know, everybody might not agree with what he's doing, but he's in a tough spot. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think in general, you know, most people are, are uh, well, until the craziness of the last couple of weeks, um, have been pleased with his leadership. And I think that's a very interesting style of leadership that uh, has resonated all the way up to the national level with the mm-hmm. national governors and, and what he did with Vice President Pence and, and um, at the federal level representing all the states. I, I, I was impressed with all of that. You said several things I want to kind of double click on that that you said. I want to go back to Leadership Maryland, and I'll use a little different word, but I think you'll see if you agree, is the the connective tissue. It sounds like what you talked about is how do you build the connective tissue. Uh, So talk a little bit more about that connection and how connections are made, and even have a story that can kind of elaborate how two people who maybe didn't know each other, but because Leadership Maryland, they built their own little connective tissue and their own little net village, if you will. Right. So um, lots of great examples. Um, so the program starts with an orientation. Mm-hmm. And in a normal year, everyone is in the room together. Obviously, you do some feel-good things. You get to know people. Uh, and as you go through the year and you look at the issues of education and health and human services, criminal justice, the environment, Uh, multiculturalism and diversity, you become, um, it's a more trusted environment. It's a very safe environment. Mm -hmm. So by the time we get to the multiculturalism and diversity session in October, you know these people so well that um, your, your veneer, we like to say that everyone has a veneer, and at some point during the course of the program, that veneer just goes away Mm -hmm. and you say something out loud in front of 50 people and you think oh my god did i did i really just say that and did i say it in front of 50 people yeah you did because you've just developed this trust and um, this ability to uh, 
to speak freely, knowing that we call it Vegas rules. What's said in the room stays in the room. And, and that is class to class. Um, and it's, it's just a, quite a special thing. Uh, some examples of um, things that have happened out of a particular class. Uh, I have two really good examples. In 06, uh, Tom Jarbo and a couple of people from the Southern Maryland region were in the program. And as we went around the state, they realized that there are other local and county-based regional programs. And they thought, well, why don't we have one down here in Southern Maryland? So they got together with all of the graduates from Leadership Maryland wow. before them, from St. Mary's, Calvert, and Charles County, and they stood up Leadership Southern Maryland. Wow. And it's now been, I believe, 12 years, and hundreds of graduates from that program. Uh, another wonderful example is an organization called the Clarion Call. Janice Liggins was in the class of, I believe, 11, and she was very moved uh, when they visited uh, the prison, which is part of our program, and to learn that most of the men in that system never got past a third grade reading level. Mm. And that bothered her. And for her, that was her clarion call. She created a new nonprofit. Some of her class members uh, were on her board and are still on her board. And she created a program in Prince George's County that is reaching out to families, uh, particularly those who have some sort of um, um, justice issues, if you will, mm -hmm. in the family with the father or the mother or both or whatever it may be, and keeping young boys and girls busy and learning and reading. Um, and it's she's now retired from her day job and she's now running the nonprofit full time. Oh, that's that, those are two great stories. And, but I love your the veneer. Um, you know, I, I went through leadership, uh, Greater Washington, mm -hmm. and so it's, it's funny that, that whole veneer that that you can walk into a room with, you know, fifty, sixty people that you, you know, most of them you don't know, and all of a sudden you're sharing and you're opening up and with some very intimate pieces. And to your point, that's how those connective tissues are are, are built. And, and yeah. Because it's the you didn't use the word, but it's being vulnerable. You know, how do yeah. you allow yourself to be vulnerable? And it takes time. We could never have had that conversation at orientation in April. It has mm -hmm. to happen in October. You need that time on the bus, as we say, to <laughs> um, have that level of comfort and, and to have the level of comfort that um, what you say won't be held against you, sure. even if people don't necessarily agree with you. It could be diametrically opposed to you, but there's a respect and a trust that develops that over the course of the program. Um, and, and with many people, it remains years and years after. What's one of your fears as you move into COVID, kind of as you, you, you can't do the bus, you know, to your point of having, what's, what's one of your fears that's going to get lost? But what's also one of your hopes that's going to get maybe amplified as you kind of move to a different platform because of COVID? So I think... We're probably going to be in some sort of a hybrid model where uh, normally we'd all be in a ballroom at the Cambridge Hyatt in April with 52 people at this giant circle of tables that look something like the UN. And we do all these exercises and we stand close together and then we separate on further apart. And, you know, we're not going to be able to do those things. So, you know, and we used to always, it was required, it was mandatory, you had to be in the room. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think that's going to be the case come April. Mm-hmm. Um, not yet, at least. Maybe 2022 we'll be able to do all that again. But mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to accommodate safely uh, those who want to be in the room and then accommodate those who want to participate virtually um, and still make it feel real and special and LMD-like. Same thing, you know, throughout the programmatic sessions. You know, in May, we would normally go to Southern Maryland. Mm -hmm. We would go to Pax River and spend half a day there. I don't think that's going to happen. But <laughs> yeah. it, are there videos? Are there things? Yeah. Could we bring in the, the um, you know, one of the commanders of, of the base to talk to us about what they're doing? So mm-hmm. just trying different ways to get at the places and the conversations that we've had in the past, knowing that we may have some people in the room, but we're going to have people participating virtually as well. Cool. So I want to talk about you. What I loved about getting to know you is just your, your service and you're serving leadership to, to Maryland. Uh, I think folks need to hear your story and clearly you're connected to TEDCO uh, through the years and you're still connected to TEDCO. Mm-hmm. So why don't you tell our, our listeners and our viewers a little bit about Renee and your, your history of serving the state of Maryland and TEDCO. Yep, so I'm a born and raised Marylander. Um, uh, my first you know, real job, uh, if you will, after college was the city of Greenbelt. I was the public information officer, uh, went on to, National League of Cities. I spent uh, Maryland Municipal League and then National League of Cities. Uh, I came back to Maryland to work at TEDCO when it was a brand new organization in 1998 (laughs) statute, 1999, in terms of beginning to do some work with them. I was employee number two, very proudly. My my TEDCO colleagues will hear me say I bleed TEDCO and I always will. And then uh, I left TEDCO to go to the Tech Council of Maryland. I had a great Mm -hmm. opportunity to work with the life sciences and uh, IT and tech community there. Um, Then I came back to my my county. I was a little tired of the commute to Rockville, which was (laughs) very tough back then. Um, Started up my own uh, consulting firm, uh, Bay One Group. I still have that, no clients currently, Uh, but Worked with Anne Arundel Economic Development Corporation and the Chesapeake Innovation Center. Uh, and then um, my predecessor at Leadership Maryland announced her retirement and I threw my name in the hat. I was one of over a hundred people who threw their name in the oh, hat. Wow. And I, to this day, seven years in, am still the lucky one to have <laughs> gotten this job. Well, we appreciate and we appreciate you. I appreciate you and the state appreciate you. And- you, you didn't mention, so I'll, you know, you, you clearly serve uh, on a couple of TEDCO boards. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate you. You're the vice chair for MII. And uh, you want to talk a little bit about MII? Let folks know about MII. Sure. So the Maryland Innovation Initiative is a, um, a state-funded program. We work with uh, the uh, research institutions in the state of Maryland really to um, fund early stage um, very early stage technology in hopes and companies uh, in hopes to uh, grow jobs and opportunity. And uh, we've had about $39 million uh, invested. Um, if I remember correctly, 102 startups Got it. Um, as well Got as hundred plus jobs created. Yep. And I've uh, only been on MII for a couple of years. I am um, uh, President Emeritus uh, Mike Miller's 
appointee uh, to the MII. And our leadership, Bob Hallenbach, um, Bob has been a great chair of Absolutely. MII. Yep. Um, the staff is great. The other people that I serve with, um, all the universities, College Park and Baltimore County and um, UMB and Hopkins and UMBC, uh, just a great, great bunch of people who work very hard to move what their researchers are doing on their campuses into our everyday lives. No, it's um, uh, just so I just left a meeting of the uh, Life Science Advisory Board and mm -hmm. Artie was presenting um, the impact. And so one of the comments and sure she'll come back to the board to tell you all is that they, they, they loved it. They loved the impact. They loved the story of MII. But what they, they brought up was that um, we might be undercounting the numbers. And I think we are, I think overall mm -hmm. TEDCO, I think we're undercounting numbers. I think I haven't had a chance to talk to you, you or the board about is we've got to rethink the statistical analysis that we do to count impact and what and how we do that. So I'm thinking through the resources we need at TEDCO holistically to look at all the impact that we're actually generating for the state of Maryland. So that doesn't surprise me. Um, I remember in the early, early days of TEDCO, we were trying to figure out how to validate and um, judge our impact. And what we looked at was follow on funding for every dollar through the state that we put into a company or a project, what was the follow on? Was there SBIR? Was there venture? And now there are so many other ways to slice and dice it, but we thought, oh, we'll never get more than $25 on the dollar. <laughs> we have all known that that got blown away. Exactly. Um, but yeah, you have to reevaluate how you evaluate. I mean, there are new, new, uh, new data points to, to ponder. So I'm not surprised at all. So no, it was a great meeting and I did an outstanding job of, of telling the story around that, which, you know, let's talk about COVID even more. You, you mentioned it already, but you know, COVID is here. Um, we pray it's not here to stay, but it's here and, it, and mm -hmm. we're having to pivot. You talked about how leadership in Maryland had to pivot, but I want to drill even more on, uh, you know, how leadership, cause you, you mentioned it already, how, leaders have to rethink what they are doing in order to manage our way through this. And, you know, I think you've heard me talk about, you know, this, this too, I believe this too shall pass, but this too will create different behaviors and different things that we're going to have to do. I think, you know, the notion of uh, five days in the office probably is not, is a dead thing. Right. I think we're going to have a different way in which we're going to gather and meet as you just talked about. So my question to you is as you, Think about that for yourself as a leader, but also as you clearly are uh, uh, one of the key leaders to lead others and help others become better leaders. How are you thinking about that and how are you thinking about changing some of the messaging of what you've got to teach people how to be better leaders in this post-COVID world? So I think there's a couple things. And these are characteristics of good leaders that, that I think are characteristics of good leaders that shouldn't change. Ah, yeah. For example, um, good leaders listen. They listen first mm -hmm. and it's not always an easy thing to master uh, particularly if you're in practice mode and others are not. Mm -hmm. um, but listening will forever be a standard characteristic of a good leader. Mm -hmm. You still need to surround yourself with good people mm -hmm. and better leaders surround themselves with people that are unlike themselves. You need diversity of cultures, of experiences, of values. Um, I like to say you need the experience of ages. Mm -hmm. um, you need wisdom, but you need youthful innovation 
and, and free spiritedness from our millennials, et cetera. So you need to surround yourself with a combination of, of people um, in order to deal with COVID in particular, but you know, all the other things that companies and businesses and nonprofits are dealing with. Um, and I think those standard characteristics of leadership will survive, will continue, and will be the backbone of, of good leaders going forward. Yeah. So one of the things that I, I agree, I, I love your point about the millennials. One of, the, one of my observations, see if you agree with that, and I, I've always messed up when, you know, Gen X, Gen Z, I never know when to cut the line off, but I, I just don't know. But I, I talk about kind of the 40-ish and below, because most of them grew up what I call during the video game generation, right? And so, so if you think about the video games, what, number one, they are not going to be the ones who work 30 years and stay at the company for 30 years and get the right. watch. That, that model for them doesn't exist. But the other thing for me, and see if you agree, is that because of this video game influence, they're always about the next skill level, the next skill level. And so as someone who's managing them, it's not so much a promotion as we also have to get the next, once they've attained a certain skill, they need the next skill and the next skill. And so we as leaders and managers have to make sure that we're having an organization that is growing enough to allow them that next skill level to be attained. Otherwise, they leap. Right. You have to enable. You have to be an enabler. A good leader does enable and it enables people of, of all skill sets and um, all backgrounds to everyone should always want to learn more. Mm -hmm. And if you're a leader and you exhibit that and you enable that within your company or within your organization, you're going to be much better off in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and to the point you just made, you know, what one of many things that COVID has exposed um, is the inequities that have always been there. Um, uh, again, whether it's about race or gender or even socioeconomics. And so as you think about that, what does that mean for, for Leadership Maryland in, in terms of diversity and inclusion? Um, I actually like the word expansion as well, but diversity and inclusion. How does that influence what you do at its Leadership Maryland? How does it influence just who Renee is and how Renee thinks about the world? Sure. So for Leadership Maryland, we have always, uh, through our selection process, looked at age, gender, ethnicity, profession, and geographic region within the state. And in mm -hmm. terms of profession, we're looking at public, private sector. We're looking at all levels of government, all levels of education everything in one. Um, one of my favorite things to watch in a particular class is age. Um, mm -hmm. Because that I, everyone has that. Everyone has an age. It's one thing we all share. We may be male, we may be female, we may have a different <laughs> culture, we may work. We are all an age and we bring it. If you're 26 or 65 and to see that develop in a class over the course of eight months, I find to be one of the most fascinating things to watch. Mm -hmm. um, but we have always tried to be as diverse as we can in every class. Uh, we try to mirror that in our board of directors and in our various committees. Um, but I think what has happened over the, the course of the last few months is we need to look a little bit differently at how um, we have our conversations about mm. diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a mechanism that we've used for many years. It's called um, 
uh, open space technology absolutely has absolutely nothing to do with technology, but it's a, it's a process, a facilitation process that we've used that we can't do till October because we have to build up that trust throughout the year. Um, but it gives people an opportunity to make a statement and then have a conversation about it. And uh, I, I remember, you know, some of the, the interesting questions were, you know, why can't white men jump? Um, another was, well, what's wrong with the name Washington Redskins? Um, and then others are more personal. Um, I am, not me personally, but the question, the statement was, you know, I'm in my 60s. I have a 27-year-old son who has a severe disability. What will happen to him when I die? Mm -hmm. And who will take care of him? You know, mm -hmm. you can only do so much. And so you have these personal candid conversations and, and some get deep into racism and slavery and go back to, you know, the, the Nina, the Pinta and the Santa Maria. <laughs> and um, but because we have that safe place to talk about it. But we need to take it a little further. We need to take the discussion a little bit further. And we're, we're talking about that right now. We're working with our planning committee um, to try and figure out how to have some deeper conversations. Perhaps there are some uh, different uh, facilitation tools and different people. I mean, I remember um, after uh, Freddie Gray and the unrest in Baltimore in 2015, it happened in April and we were gonna do our June session in Baltimore and we were gonna to go to the harbor and we were gonna look at the economic impact of the, the new towers, the new crane towers at the port mm -hmm. and what that was gonna mean for uh, the region and for Baltimore and the double stack trains and Howard Street Tunnel and all that. And then the unrest happened. And I thought we can't go to Baltimore and not talk about that. So we completely revised the program in four weeks. Um, we wound up having uh, the pastor, I wish I could, Hickman, Pastor Hickman, Hickman yeah. um, come in and talk with the group. Yeah. Uh, we met at the uh, Humanum building in the old brewery building, which is just across the street from the Transformation Center that burned to the ground over on Gay Street. Mm -hmm. uh, we took our class by bus over to Madawan Mall, and we talked with the folks at Center for Urban Families that year. And then we took the bus all the way across town. And to some people, all they saw was a map and they saw oh fires are here and fires are here and there's unrest here at mandawan mall and then there's these things and they just thought oh it's just down the street well it's not down the street it's across the city and things happened all over and to them it was we showed them just the the vastness of yeah it happened in baltimore but in Baltimore, it happened in Baltimore, in various places in Baltimore. And it was kind of eye-opening to a lot of people who just saw little flame pictures on a map and said, ah, you know, it's burning. That whole building burned down and there it is rebuilt a year later. So it was pretty moving um, for our yeah. Without, 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 you know, naming anybody or causing anybody, any, is there some story you can tell us how someone's view of the life shifted because of that experience? Um, because look, while you're thinking about it, I, mean, I, I, I agree with you. I think the challenge we have, and again, as a black man, the challenge we have is we're afraid to say things. This, this is an emotional conversation, right? It's emotional. There's a lot of emotions. And we're afraid to say things because we don't want to hear what you might have to say. And white people don't want to afraid because they, but there's things that just need to be said. And, they, and we need to allow 
the anger, uh, sometimes sometimes the questions, and sometimes mm-hmm. there are questions that to my to me might seem silly or to you might seem silly, but because we've all lived, we all effectively live in little bubbles. And right. and what you really are talking about is how do you get people out of their bubble, and how do you allow me to question my bubble? So I I don't have a a particular instance. Well. Uh, there was an occasion in um, a, a class not too long ago where um, someone, a, a, a person of color, felt like they were not able to speak freely. Mm-hmm. And at one point, they got the gumption to say that. And there were a lot of people in the room like, oh, well, why do you feel that way? And you shouldn't feel that way. Uh, and they meant it. They really meant that she shouldn't feel that way. And just by having that little bit of conversation, it was amazing to see how the next session, a lot of people opened up more because they were beginning to realize, okay, this is the safe place. So I can't how, say it here. How do you, how do you, or have you thought about how does that conversation expand beyond Leadership Maryland and the cohorts of Leadership Maryland? How does that become a conversation that Maryland can, Maryland can have and can Maryland can help the nation. Look, we, you're not trying to make a political statement, but there is some healing that needs to happen right mm-hmm. now, regardless of, you know, forget the politics. There is real division, there's real mistrust, there's real division. And so what you're saying is, the, I, I, I do agree, is a platform for that. So how do you scale that to, to have more than just leadership in Maryland? Well, I don't know that organizationally that's what we do. We expect our people to do that. There you go. We expect those who've gone through the program, experienced, met the colleague who's on the other side of the fence, and you've both come together at the gate. And then you move forward and do something together in your community. It's mm-hmm. it's local. It's mm-hmm. it's in your church. It's in your children's school. It's mm-hmm. on the soccer field. Um, we want our people to go, like I said earlier, and do good. And if it means um, carrying a flag of a different color or um, approaching a group that you would not normally have reached out to. Um, it's going out of your comfort zone. Yes. Um, and, and again, the organization isn't necessarily going to do that, but we will provide the opportunity. We can convene mm. and we can give you a safe place for the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but the expectation is that you need to do this and you need to do it, whether you do it alone or with people in your cohort or with people who have come before you and graduated or those that will come after you who have graduated. So I, I want that cause that's such a, that, that's such a beautiful way. I, I want to kind of, kind of use, use that as a place to kind of stop and transition and, and just kind of open it up to you and see if you had something you want to uh, kind of talk about as we, as we close this out. You know, you'd mentioned that um, I am involved with a couple things there at TEDCO. Uh, Another is uh, Maryland Venture Fund. And we were talking about COVID. And one of the things that I was really excited about is that uh, back in June, um, we funded a company called ClearMask through (laughs) um, the Builder and the um, Seed Fund. Mm -hmm. And wow, what a great story (laughs) story for those funds, the little bit of money that that company got and what they have done for doctors and nurses and those on the front lines. And, you know, I just think about the, the little patient, the young 
child who has COVID and the doctor or the nurse can look at them through the clear mask and treat them. And I'm like, I just thought that was the neatest thing that, you know, thumbs up on that. Yeah, you can have that money because I think that's going to go a long way. Um, I do enjoy um, my work with MII and Maryland Venture Fund and all the seed funds at, at TEDCO. Um, I, I do bleed TEDCO, as I said earlier, uh, employee number two, and you can't take that away from me. So, <laughs> Well, you did mention it's not connected to TEDCO, clearly, but there's a lot of TEDCO representation on the e-innovation board yes. as well. So you want to talk about that? Sure. Um, so the e-innovation is a, a program that is housed at Commerce, and it was started by the legislature to endow um, projects, programs, professorships, if you will, at any college or university across the state of Maryland. It was not limited to just the system campuses. It was every college, community college, local college, private. Um, and we have, oh, I don't even know how many millions um, we have given out. I believe this is our eighth year, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, I've only been on for a couple of years now, but um, it's so gratifying to see Micah got a grant. Uh, Washington College. College of Southern Maryland is still working on theirs. Yep. So University of Maryland Eastern Shore trying yeah. to do something around entrepreneurship and construction That's management. Yeah. And in Somerset County, I mean, just that money it, it's almost double the impact when when you can go out to some of these smaller institutions to provide them with a professorship and the money that it that's matched. I mean, it's a match. We may give them a million, but they're getting a million from someone local who really cares about that campus and that particular program, whether it's environmental or entrepreneurship or art design related, whatever it is. So it, that's also been a very exciting program to be a part of. Yeah, I think particularly folks in Maryland, but even outside of Maryland may be viewing this, we want to be clear with MII and with the innovation, these are funds that are available. Look, MII, we have a private institution, Hopkins, that is participating in this. Mm -hmm. So it's private and the public. And the same thing with innovation. We have, as, 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 as Renee mentioned, we have both the, the public institutions and our private institutions that have participated in this. And so I think Maryland is very unique in, in supplying these type of funds to both public and private institutions mm -hmm. of higher learning. So it's, 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 a, it's a magic, it's just a lot of good stuff. Well, over the years, I think that the Maryland General Assembly has been brilliant in some of the programs that they have come up with, you know, even dating back to 1998 when they developed <laughs> TEDCO. Uh, but, you know, MII and the innovation and, um, you know, Maryland Venture Fund. So a lot of these programs um, came out of the General Assembly. And I think that, you know, we've... MII and innovation, we've been good stewards. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, we need to we need to continue to do that. Absolutely. Well, look, Renee, thank you for your time. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your friendship uh, and your support. I really I personally appreciate it. And, and the state of Maryland does as well. So appreciate you. Uh, thank this you. Is, thank you. So this is again, this is Troy Stovall with Tedco Talks. And we'll see you again. Take care, Renee. Have a good one and have a great thank Thanksgiving. You. you too. Thanks. Thank Thanks again for listening and a special thank you to our guest, Renee Winsky, for joining in today's discussion. For more information on TEDCO and its activities, check us out at www.tedcomd.com. If you enjoyed today's discussion, 
consider sharing and subscribing to Techco Talks.